Thank you for joining us for this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, good morning once again. Thank you again for being with us, and I hope that you've enjoyed our time of worship so far. If you would, get your Bibles back out and open them to Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians chapter 5, uh, the passage that Eric read for us just a few moments ago, and we will get to that in just a moment. Let me begin Let me begin by saying a big thank you to everyone. I, I was so encouraged uh, this week when I read Miss Lois's letter, and again when Jonathan read it to us just a little, a little while ago, because what her letter tells me is that even though we've not been together physically in this building, our church family is still busy doing kingdom work. We are still busy reaching out to each other. We're still busy trying to encourage each other. We have not let the pandemic shut the church down. It may have shut the doors to our building, but the fire is still burning here, and we are still trying to be a light to everyone. And I appreciate everyone so much for the hard work that they've done. I know of so many things that people have done that, that no one else really knows about, those kind of quiet servants that are still serving and doing things and, and taking care of people. And, and, and I've talked to them about it. They've said over and over, I don't want any recognition for this. I, I just, I'm just trying to love my church family. And to those of you, you know who you are. Thank you. Thank you to everyone that has continued to serve and, and find new ways to serve during this challenging time. I'm so um, I'm so grateful for you and all that you do. Let's jump into our text this morning. We are, we're, like I said as we began, we're winding down this study in the book of Ephesians. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I started this study back seven or eight weeks ago, I never thought that we would finish this study in the same context online then when we started, I thought, and I think all of us did, I thought that we would be kind of shut down away from each other for three or four weeks, and then we would be back together. That, that obviously is not the case, although that time that we're going to be able to have an opportunity to be back together is, is just around the corner, and I know that we'll start a new study together that will be beneficial, but I hope that you've enjoyed this study of the book of Ephesians. I've gotten some very positive feedback from people, and I appreciate their thoughts, but today's lesson brings us, brings us to a passage that's not necessarily really uh, mushy-gushy feel-good. You know, it's not one of those that you, you go to to try to make yourself feel better about your faith. It's, it's a challenging passage because it deals with submission. It deals with our submission to one another and, and to God and in relationships with husbands and wives, with relationships to children, with relationships to, to at least in our context, in our life, uh, our work relationships. Now, we're not going to hit this whole section today. We're going to really focus on the end of, of chapter 5 and the marriage situation. But I'm glad Eric read the entirety of this section because it is it, it can be a very challenging thing for us. And God gives us words of, of direction when we face difficulties. But he starts out, he starts out in verse 21. And I want us to read verse 21. Because I think it's important. Neil and I were talking about this before 
anybody else really got here this morning, we were talking about if you look at simply your headings in your Bibles. A lot of headings for this particular section start above verse 22. It comes in between verse 21 and verse 22. Some sections and other Bibles start with verse 21. I think it's important for us to realize, because I think we get in the mindset when we study our Bibles, that if it's in a section with a heading, it's not always necessarily related to the section above. And that's, that's not necessarily true. These headings that we see in our, in our Bibles, they're not God-ordained headings. They're, they're man-made headings to help us um, make sense or, or make some breaks in big, long passages and trains of thought. But in some of your Bibles, verse 21 is in this section, and some of them it's not. Regardless of where your Bible heading is, verse 21 is the most important verse of this entire section. And listen to what it says. It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for for Christ. And the point that Paul, I believe, is trying to make, the point that he's trying to get us to understand is that as he's fixing to go through and talk about all these different relationships, the core of every relationship we have and the motivation behind every relationship we have has to first and foremost be Christ. It's not ourselves, it's not the other person, it's nobody else or anything else. The main motivation in our relationships, whether it's marriages, families, work relationships, the, the relationship you might have with the cashier at Walmart because you're there all the time and you know them so well, whatever it might be, the center of that relationship, the way you deal with people in your life starts and stops out of your reverence, out of your respect, out of your love for Jesus Christ. And if we figure out how to live, verse 21, everything else we read in Scripture takes care of itself, doesn't it? If we figure out how to live out of reverence for Christ in every relationship, we figure the rest of it out. And I want you to know that this morning, that that's where I believe Paul starts this particular passage, and then he begins to flesh out the different parts of the relationship. So as, as we jump in, Eric had talked to me earlier in the week, and he said, what, what scriptures of this section do you want me to read? And I said, well, you know, from a guy's perspective, maybe we just read verse 22, wives submit to your husbands. And I said, maybe we just stop right there. And uh, out of Eric's great wisdom, he didn't follow my instructions. He went ahead and read the whole section. But we're, we're going to start right here with this first part, and we're going to break some of these things down. He says in verse 22, this is the first thing he says in this section. He's speaking to wives. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit to their husbands in everything. Maybe, if I'm just completely honest with you, maybe I am lucky 
that there's not a bunch of women and wives in the auditorium this morning. That may keep me out of a little bit of trouble this morning. But I want us to start with the word that maybe causes the most uncomfortableness out of this whole section, and it is the word submit. In the first two verses that we've looked at already this morning, the word submit has already popped up twice. So it's obviously an important word, right? So what does the word submit mean? Well, well, as I was studying, the first thing I did is, is in, in some ways in our culture and society, the word submit is, is a harsh word. It's not a real soft word. So I thought maybe I could go to some other translations and find a softer way that this is said. One translation says a wife should put her husband first. Another says, wives, understand and support your husband, but later uses the word submit in verse 24, so it carries the idea. So I began to dig deeper because I'm like, there's got to be more than just our own thoughts in our language to this word. So I dug deeper, and I found that a proper Greek definition for this word begins as a military term, which was really interesting to me. And it means to arrange troop divisions in military fashion under the command of a leader. And I read that and I thought, okay, so that's what it meant in everyday Greek language, but that still doesn't tell me what I think Paul's trying to get to here. So I dug more and looked at a lot of other references and, and, and came across this other use of this, of this word in the Greek language. And it is a voluntary attitude of giving in cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. And that to me is a powerful definition, especially the very beginning of it, a voluntary attitude, a voluntary attitude of giving in, cooperating, assuming responsibility, and carrying a burden. So the word in the context that Paul is using is he's not talking about forced obedience, He's talking about voluntarily giving in and cooperating in this relationship. So Paul's instructions then is that wives should voluntarily give in and cooperate in this relationship. And the reason he gives maybe is problematic for us because it is the idea of maybe a hierarch system. He says that wives should, wives should submit because the husband is the head of the wife, just like Christ is the head of the church. But now notice what Paul doesn't say here. Paul doesn't use the word obey, which is the same word he, which is the word he uses rather when he's talking about children at the beginning of chapter six. He says, children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. The word obey is more of a, not a forced uh, giving in, but it is a lot stronger word in the original language than the word submit. And that may be a very small point, but I think it is, is powerful in its understanding. And then the last verse re repeats the idea to submit in everything. Now, I don't believe this means in every little single detail. Obviously, the wife is not to submit to sinful demands. It does mean in every area of life. It's the idea of don't live separate lives. Don't compartmentalize your lives from each other. You should live in unity. Now, husbands, many times we love to just focus on the very first part of this section 
as wives like to maybe focus on the second part of this section. But if you think what he says to wives is uncomfortable, it really becomes uncomfortable when you read what he says to husbands. What he says to wives is three verses. What he says to husbands is nine verses. What he says to wives is 40 words. What he says to husbands is 115. And I don't know if he just realizes that as men, sometimes you just have to explain it out a little bit more in depth. Just roll it on out there so he makes sure that we gets it, that we get it. So let's see what he says here. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, in the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. So what's he calling us to, men? He's saying that we should love our wives just as Christ loved the church, and therein lies the challenge. How much did Christ love us how much does Christ love us as the church? His love led him to what? His very own death. His love led him to the sacrifice that he made on the cross. And as I read this and I think about the two dynamics of wives submit, husbands love the way that you should as Christ loves, I come to this idea that a voluntary giving over of a wife becomes easier and more realistic if a husband loves his wife to the point of total sacrifice. That is the image of marriage that Paul is painting for us in this particular passage. It's not always easy. It's not always roses. But it's what God wants. Now, I love verse 31. As, as Paul quotes the passage from Genesis where God institutes marriage. And what I think is fascinating here is, is the unity and the equality that Paul brings in to the picture here of the two becoming one. And Paul puts this in the middle of a passage that many times people find is unfair and unequal. Instead, he's trying at least this is my opinion, my thought, the way I read here, is he's trying to get us back to a pre-fall form of marriage. And what I mean by that is in before, before sin entered the winter of the world, before God had to, had to make some, uh, some, I don't even know the word I'm thinking about right now, had to make some conditions maybe within our marriage, Adam and Eve were just simply partners. And then because of sin, he looks at Eve and says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you in chapter three and verse 16. But I believe what Paul is saying here radically calls us 
to work back to a pre-fall form of marriage where unity and equality and harmony represent our relationships. Now, that's what it says. But what does it all mean? What does it all mean? That's the big question about passages like this, isn't it? What does it all mean? Well, first, I believe this passage has been used in some very inappropriate ways. I believe that people have used this passage in the past to to make women feel that they are of less importance, to be selfish as men and greedy, um, trying to force submission in a way that God does not want to see. And I believe we have to acknowledge that, but also acknowledge that I believe this is something different. The second problem, I guess you could say, or a thing that I want to maybe elaborate on is the idea of headship. Many times we, we look at the idea of headship with the idea of inequality. We interpret the phrase that the husband is the head of the wife to sometimes mean or somehow mean that the husband is more important or maybe more special, somehow more valuable because he is the head. And that is the problem we have with this terminology sometimes. But I don't believe there is a notion of inequality in this passage. In fact, the fact that Paul is addressing women uh, to, you know, and singling them out and saying, this is your role, I believe shows that he believes that this should be countercultural to what's going on. This is a different relationship and there is an inequality here. He didn't start off and end by just talking to men. I heard it said this way one time, if a man is the head of a family, then the wife is definitely the heart. And I believe that shows a powerful equality within the relationship. Now, if you really peg people down and ask them what they feel about, preachers and different people, what they feel about the way this should function in your marriage, you kind of get two different ideas. Both of them, I believe, can be substantiated scripturally. Uh, Both of them um, can be, if you want to say, debated or argued to a very fair point. But I'm going to give you the two and then share with you my thoughts. The first view basically sees husbands and wives as equal, but filling different God-ordained roles, with the role of a husband being one of leadership and responsibility and the role of the wife being one of support and submission. And if that's how you feel this passage reads, then I believe you can make a valid point for that. The second view sees both partners as equal with flexibility in terms of role based on giftedness and emphasizes the unity and the mutuality in marriage and is dependent on the pre-fall description of marriage as the goal in which Christ-centered couples should strive to live. Both, I believe, can be substantiated through Scripture. Personally, I believe the second. I believe that our marriages should be full of respect and that they they should flow in a way that plays to the strength of each partner. And the reason I believe this is because of verses 31 and verse 25. The first being, the two shall become one, as the most important factor in command here, that the marriage is about unity. Sometimes it means that there's going to be different decisions that are made, and that one of the others is going to have to voluntarily submit. 
to the desire of the other. But the point is that unity is brought forth in the marriage. So let me ask a couple of questions as we end our particular study of this text. First, a question of logic. If husbands were loving their wives like Christ loved the church, would submission from wives ever be an issue? Second, and maybe more pointed, wives, do you voluntarily give in and cooperate with your husbands? And then finally, a question for our husbands. Do you love your wife like Christ loves the church to the point of complete and total self-sacrifice? And perhaps more importantly, does your wife feel that love from you? Here's what I challenge you to do. In the next week, I want to challenge you to sit down with your spouse and talk about this text. And your goal is first to hear and understand what your spouse feels and thinks and to communicate how you feel and think. Pick a time and sit down and have a conversation about your roles in your marriage. I believe that would be a powerful conversation for all of our families to have. Because getting back to what Christ wants is the most important thing. Let's close with a word of prayer, and then the lesson will be yours. God, I thank you so much for our time together this morning. I thank you for this passage in our study, although it may be a challenging one at times. Marriage is never easy. But through you, through focusing on you, God, we can overcome so much in this life. Help us to practice of all the idea of submitting to one another out of reverence for you. Let us always look to you with this heart of obedience, this heart of love, of respect, of willingness to walk the extra mile because of your sacrifice for us. Help us to live that in our life, God. God, I pray that you be with our church in this challenging time. Even though we feel that we might see the light at the end of the tunnel of some of these challenges, God, we know that one challenge is just followed by another many times in life. And I pray that you give us the ability to focus on you no matter what comes our way. Help us to be a loving church, God. Help us to be a submissive church. Help us to voluntarily give in to you because of the love that you have for us. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for showing us how much you love us and how willing you are to, to show us mercy. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. As we always do at this time, I want to let you know this morning that our doors are always open that if you need anything, if you have anything that you need help and assistance with, I pray that you give us the opportunity to um, help you, to, to come and to share with us, to pick up the phone and call, to knock on our door at the office. The elders, the shepherd, our shepherds, our staff is willing and ready to assist you in any way possible. Now this morning, before our closing song, I'm going to turn things over to Tyler as he has something he would like to share with us.
If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 10.30 a.m. and 6 o'clock p.m. with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to join us again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.